Deconstruct with Clark and Alyssa. Season four. Oh, season four. And we are back with season four. I do my season four dance. Is this really? Is this season four? And the next book will be season five? Yeah. Okay. We're not following. If we're doing like. I, Her- I wasn't sure what to call this on the notes. <laughs> yeah. If we're doing like Harry Potter book three, it's still going to be in like season or book four. It's still going to be in like season five. Okay. We're going to get off. <laughs> Break that mold. That's right. I'm looking forward to it. This is going to be a very short season then <laughs> because. Yeah. Yeah, it will we, be. We took a lot on just for this one episode and I I'm, I'm if it doesn't work, we might have to break the next ones up, but I'm I want to commit. I want to commit to 3 episodes in yeah. the book. I I think we can do this, Alyssa. I think so too. Uh and that book that we're talking about, of course, for those of you who have been paying attention to all of our other episodes is uh Never Let Me Go by Kazuo Ishiguro. Nice job. Got it. <laughs> Finally got it out. <laughs> I've been practicing for the intermittent winks. 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 <laughs> ah. I got, two. <laughs> got the author name, but uh, weeks is tricky. Uh, so never let me go, which is uh, now, okay, did this win a bunch of awards or did did the writer himself win the Pulitzer or he, the Peace Prize rather? What did he win? I totally was going to look this up and put it at the top oh, of the notes because I knew we were going to talk about it yep, and then I yep. failed us because I didn't do it. That. You owe Kazuo Ishiguro Nobel Nobel Prize winning British novelist. Hmm. So he is British. Okay, I wasn't Bo- sure. Born in Nagasaki, but okay. He when you ever listen to any interviews by him, he's very British. Okay. Yeah, and he seems very familiar with the. Uh, yeah. Okay, that British makes sense. Isles. Yeah. <clears throat> Nobel. Nobel. <laughs> no bell, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, so just make sure our levels are okay and we'll get into it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was tweaking it. Um, so I guess, I mean, boy, I don't know. Uh, usually we just do the brief synopsis and just kind of get into it. Um, yeah. So today we're talking about the entire first part of this book, which is like the first half of the book. I didn't realize how much longer this part is compared yeah. to the other two. I was looking through it and I'm like, wow, this is like, 10 chapters, nine chapters, a l- nine, cha- nine chapters, 111 pages. Yeah. And judging by my bookmark, it's half the book, a little bit short of it, but yeah. It's so, a lot. We're covering a lot of ground today. We always say that, but I think we actually mean it this time. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> because we, um, right away in this book, we're introduced to the land of Hailsham, which is not a land. It's a, it's more of like a school. It's a house. Hailsham it's house. A, Hailsham house. But there's lots of buildings and it's a... Uh, it's a little bit like Hogwarts if you think about it. Yeah, it's it's got the boarding school feel to it and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, the special kids feel to it. So there are some parallels. It's a logical jump from Harry Potter to this, I think. Yeah, yeah. I didn't really realize it at the time when I picked it, <laughs> but I think it works. We'll ease into it. Uh, so those of you who are just coming in on season four, which hopefully there's a bunch of new people around, that'd be great. We always love that. But uh, the last three seasons, we talked about Harry Potter books. So any Harry Potter reference you hear, it's just the fact that it's it's all we know, people. It's all we know. It's the only books Alyssa has ever read is Harry Potter, right? And this one. 
And That's this the premise. One. There we go. That's the premise. Books we've read. I, Alyssa has read it and Clark has not. <laughs> That's our premise right now. So I've read fewer than uh, fewer books than Alyssa, who has only read the Harry Potter books. So, <laughs> <laughs> And all of those other books that we talked about in previous hiatus episodes. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Those are those are canon, I suppose. Uh, so uh, go ahead and uh, let's have a synopsis. Let's get into this. Okay, so the the briefest of brief synopses of nine chapters is we meet Kathy, who mm. is a carer, and she recalls her childhood at Hailsham House, where she, Tommy, Ruth, and many other students were raised to one day. Spoiler alert! Hey guys, this is Clark popping in real quick to say. Uh, we're about to talk about some serious spoilers from the first part of Never Let Me Go by Kazuo Ishiguro. If you're planning on reading the book, please do it because we're about to kind of ruin one of the more interesting points of this that everything's kind of been leading up to in the chapter. So, uh, you've been warned. Enjoy. And many other students were raised to one day donate their vital organs. Oh, yeah. We should have said at the top that there will be spoilers. Yeah. So in this whole first part, we start out not really knowing what's going on. Mm-hmm. And, and you kind of get a couple of ideas. And then sometime around chapter eight, seven or eight, mm-hmm. we finally get it all spelled out for That'd us. That'd be seven, I believe. End of seven? Um, yes. Chapter yeah. seven. Yep. And we finally get it all spelled out for us, and then we sort of deal deal with the aftermath, which it's the kind of reveal that feels like the book should end pretty soon after it, almost. <laughs> right. But there's so much more left, and I think that's that's part of what's really haunting about this book is this like we were talking before off mic that mm-hmm. by the time we actually get to Miss Lucy's big reveal, where she really frankly talks to these kids mm-hmm. about. You're going to donate your vital organs. You are not going to be actors. You're not going to go to America. You're not going to do all these things. Yeah, yeah. It felt to me when I first read it like I had, I was one of the kids who had been told and not told, as Miss Lucy says, where it didn't surprise me, but it was still incredibly jarring to have it spelled out. Yeah, to see it put just so frankly. And it's like, should... (laughs) Should she be telling them this? Well, okay, so I wonder. <laughs> It'd be worse if she didn't. And but. I still wonder after reading it. I'm, I'm so fascinated by Miss Lucy, and I'm fascinated by these guardians, and how, how indoctrinated into the system are they, and what is their investment? Because and <clears throat> and how watched are they? Because Miss Lucy tells them on the veranda under an awning when it's raining and it just had all of it had the feel of like i finally have you all confined in a place that maybe isn't watched and i can tell you this frankly and maybe isn't bugged yeah yeah Yeah. like i it it all had the feel of like this is my moment and i it's been driving me crazy and she spent a long time considering it too and just staring off into the rain and i don't know if it's just like the rain and the fact that the kid behind her was talking about going off and being an actor that it just finally hit her and it was a different setting and so she finally felt like she could but i don't know there's there's a part of me that wonders is this house really bugged yeah so <clears throat> before we get too much into what happened in chapter 7 i do want to talk about the previous 6 chapters <laughs> because really like most of what we 
what I want to talk about all happens real quick at the end. Mm-hmm. But that's not a majority of my reading experience so far. Most of it was like listening to Kathy talk about all these different people and all of this like grade school, middle school drama, essentially. And it's a lot of like, oh, this person was mean to this person and this person's getting picked on and I want to be friends with him. You know, she wanted to be friends with Tommy, but she didn't want to like pay him too much attention because then rumors would start. And there's all of these dynamics. Um, So I was just wondering when when I went to grade school and middle school, I guess like. I felt like, yeah, there was a social structure and there was a bit of drama. I'm trying to figure out how much of this is her character being female, I guess is what I'm leading to. Hmm. Because, yeah, social things were totally a thing with guys. You jockey for positions who could play basketball, who was a fast runner. Do you relate more to the Tommy and the boys than Kathy and Ruth, do you think? Um, I mean, Tommy's a pretty odd study, but... Yeah, but, but still, yeah, in this time of my life, in that, like, there were no like yeah there were plans for like coups and social coups and taking over as the leader but not it didn't envelop our whole lives like it wasn't all we talked about there was a whole lot of just playing just a whole lot of soccer and basketball and not thinking about this at all so the and and i remember this from the very first time i read it when we got to the point where kathy describes when she and ruth became friends Mm, and ruth mm -hmm. comes over and says like do you have a pony and they run around on the grounds for hours (laughs) playing on imaginary ponies and ruth loaning her these imaginary ponies and each one's different and i think i honestly did almost that growing up like that felt right from my childhood huh um we had we had cats i had friends who loved cats and so they were all about like cats and we were cats and stuff like that yeah yeah um and and so that just felt really real to me and then the part that was really jarring and i i sort of have observed this with our three main characters is then the instant shift that ruth has that Mm. seems Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. not triggered at all of now she's really harsh with her and now she's like making kathy like put all the horses away and like do all these things and like do all the fake scut work for the imaginary horses. Yeah. What was that word? Scut? Scut. Whoa. Spell it. S-C-U-T. I'm learning. What is this? Uh, (laughs) I'm struck by this word. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So I watch Grey's Anatomy (laughs) Uh, and and there's the like the, the, the messy work, the work that you hand off to the interns, the scut work. Scut work. Great. Cool. Anyway, okay. um, yeah, so so that sort of work, like she sort of exerts whatever power she just got by gaining a friend over Kathy, and Kathy's so impressionable that she just kind of goes along with it, and she's mm-hmm. a little hurt by it, but she just gained a friend, and she doesn't really want to ruin that, and 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 just that that instant turn and that suddenly very harsh way that Ruth has mm-hmm, I, I think mm-hmm. we see that in all three of our main characters I think Kathy will be talking to Tommy and then Tommy will say something about Miss Lucy mm-hmm. and instantly reject it and get really harsh with him and stomp off and there's yeah, like no yeah. redeeming there's no listening there's there's nothing and then Tommy does that a lot he has these tantrums and he mm-hmm. just can like go and go and then he starts off like not really being able to endure much yeah, yeah. But then for a while there, he can endure quite a 
bit and then suddenly something snaps and he's he's off and i just sort of wondered as i was reading this is is there something about these kids that like either in their biology or in how they're brought up that they can't manage their anger is their anger unmanageable or are they just not taught how to yeah so I definitely know what you're talking about. And I first noticed it more with Tommy than Mm -hmm. with anybody else. And honestly, when they first described Tommy as being like, yeah, he was strong and he was fit and he was good at football, but he was just like lagging behind a bit. And a little Lenny. Yeah. And and honestly, like my first thought was, oh, he has Down syndrome. Mm. And and then it kind of evolved to, "Mm, no, it seems to be more of an autism or Asperger's or something like that. And but like... I automatically jumped to the thought of like, mm, there's a developmental disorder here. He's, he's on the spectrum. Yeah, he's on the spectrum. And I was trying to be, you know, sensitive to it. And I'm like, well, no, sometimes kids are just, you know, if you were to take a snapshot of me at that age, who knows if I would have been exactly the same. Well, that's that's the same. I, I keep reading these things and I keep uh, one of my thoughts throughout this whole thing is like. Is is there a piece missing because mm, they're. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because they're clones, or yeah, raised or or you know stem cell raised from nothing for one purpose. Is there is there something missing in their humanity, or yeah, yeah. are they just kids? Yeah, because kids are not exactly socially savvy, and like there are whole parts of the story that feel so real and so true to the experience that I had. And mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. I won't say that I was a Kathy, but I think I was. I, I had some friends who were Ruths. Oh yeah, and yeah. and especially when I was really young, in like first through third grade, we had an interesting dynamic of a couple of different groups there, where we had ringleaders, and they liked being in charge, and mm-hmm. they liked bossing mm-hmm. people around, and you kind of fell in line, or you fought and eventually left because yeah. they wouldn't be overthrown. Yeah. Yep. And and that's just. That, that's just how girls are on the playground it's they're, yeah. they're little psychological warriors and i guess that's what i was yeah that's what i was wondering is is this normal <laughs> because I, that was not the experience with us girl, girls are all about the mind games and boys are all about the punches and yeah and that's so well, I, not I'm, to be gender normative but that is how it played out at my school like i know that you know you can't just say girls are this guys are this but like for my experience that was very. It was much a lot the case. of that. Yeah, and there's always outliers. I'm not. I'm not gonna try. Yeah, trying to be all very two, 2017, 2018 about this and be like, nah, boys don't have to be like that. But um, they. But were. often, if you round, if you round <laughs> all I, of them up, yeah, that that group think can get them that way usually. But yeah, so that's that's kind of a good. Yeah, broad coverage of just generally how these kids behave, where they behave like kids, but there seems to be a little something missing, especially when you find out that they're sterile. And yeah, it did lead me to think like, well, what else is sterile? Well, like mules, so like hybrids, like things that are being bred for specific purposes generally aren't, you know, they're generally sterile. Uh, And then like you said, clones, generally sterile. And yeah, I was trying to just think of everything that these kids could be. Um, but yeah, something was a little bit off. So we'll uh, le- leave it at that for a bit. And uh, <laughs> Well, and I, I just... I, I, th- there's a moment 
um i guess like that that there's there's this whole underlying question of like how how human are they yeah really yeah but then there's another question of of there there's I don't remember what it is that Kathy is remembering, but there's something that she she sort of makes fun of herself for believing when she was a kid. And there's mm. this direct quote. Was of, it the baby thing? N- no. Okay. Um, it it was. Um, how could we believe rubbish like that? Mm. And I just feel like that's. That's somebody else's voice talking through her. Well, I, I feel like that in a way is a thesis, at least of this part. Mm of how many things did they buy into without questioning? Yeah. And how many things, like, these kids aren't raised to be critical thinkers. No, And, and no. like, looking at how their classes are structured, it's, it's you, you study art and you study music mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. you study how you order a coffee and, like, who the kind of people are out in the world who you're going to encounter. And yeah. you study the geography of the land but there's not really a lot of like i'm going to invest in your mathematics skills Mm -hmm, because like mm -hmm. why would you need to know that beyond like paying bills it's it's a very functional education for whatever's coming and it's not investing in you could create anything yeah you're going to create a longer life for someone else yeah and and through that through through that very specific tailored non-critical thinking education they they don't question much and then the things that do eventually come to light that are like oh i can't believe we believed that thing Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i can't believe we believed that someone was gonna kidnap miss geraldine and so we had the secret guard yeah yeah to protect her that's such a kid thing it's such a kid thing (laughs) and and i i think that might have that might have been the thing that she was talking No, no 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 i think it was the um chapter <laughs> chapter five. Mm. Oh yeah 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 it was the secret was guard. The guard yeah so like uh, she's like I, c- I can't believe we believed this but it's like mm-hmm. who was there to even tell you otherwise yeah, yeah what what did your guardians even tell you that felt true yeah yeah like so often it seemed like they were there to keep them in line and keep them calm and keep them active yep yeah. Like what what do you need from a person that you're eventually going to harvest for their organs? They they need to be healthy and they need to be complacent. Yeah. So it's essentially like kindergarten all the time. Yeah. Or really Montessori all the time. Like really? in, Mon- yeah. in my Montessori school like we learned life skills. Like that was a big thing that we did is we learned how to pour pitchers of water, how to do all this stuff that like when you do it when you're like four, everybody's mind is blown. They're like, did that kid just pour himself a pitcher of water and then offer one to his mom? That is amazing. (laughs) And you're like, I learned it in school. Uh, but I do want to zoom out a bit before we focus. It's it's so easy to just talk about all the implications and everything, but I want to zoom out and just talk a little bit more about the, the setting itself. Okay. Um, we'll get more into, we'll get more into that. I want to come back to why these kids are the way they are, but I think a lot of that has to do with their setting. Um, with these kids are, they are seemingly like separated from society. Mm-hmm. It seems to be that way. It's very, there are a lot of people in a Hailsham house, but they are all living at Hailsham house, except for the delivery drivers. 
those are the only people that we see that are from the outside. And madam. And madam, yeah. So, it's, I mean, how much does that affect a kid, too? And Yeah, I, and I sort of wonder, like, are, are, they, are they the, like, socially stunted and unaware people that they are because they're all in a vacuum? And, yeah, and yeah. their awareness is based on a bunch of other kids who are equally unaware? And it even comes down to, like, there's a big fence around this whole, you know, enclosure, and there's a forest on one side, and then I guess a bunch of planes on the other side. Like, they're out there, man. Mm -hmm. They're really out there. And part of me wonders, like, why? Why can't they be just close to a city? Like, why why can't they even really, like... Who's who's to say they're not? Yeah. I guess. Yeah. Um, they could be five miles out of a city. Yeah. And and it's the the book is set in an alternate timeline. Oh. So yeah, I think we open up with like nineteen ninety. Okay. Yeah. England, late nineteen nineties. So alternate to our own, you mean or Yes. Okay. Yeah, it's yeah. Well, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> so it's almost thirty years ago. Um yeah, and and 1990 is when Kathy is recalling this. Hmm. So that puts her maybe 20 years earlier, so the 80s. Oh, okay. 70s. Yeah. yeah. That's a good point. Um and and so light pollution is different, mobility is different, rural areas are much more rural and yeah. So it's simpler times. <laughs> yeah. But that's uh, that's Hailsham House, and it seems like when we're explained later, like she's remembering Hailsham House, she's telling this whole story completely out of order, jumping back and forth through the timeline, all that. Um, How much did that drive you crazy? <laughs> I mean, I caught on pretty quick that the narrator is one unreliable, two like. Um, completely spacey even just the way she writes i'm just like okay this is <sighs> this is gonna be one of those books <laughs> the thing that i found that the first time reading it that i found so addictive and mm -hmm. now this time reading it i found so problematic mm. was the way that she writes about things with familiarity before she's actually told you about them yeah. where she'll be like it's just like that time when when Ruth asked me to help her with Tommy and you're like wait when did that happen mm -hmm, and then mm -hmm. the very next thing is you her telling you about the time that Ruth asked her to help with Tommy yeah it was so addictive because I just felt like I was propelled forward like I wanted to learn <laughs> about that thing yeah yeah and so I had to keep going because there it is and it's right there so I can keep going and it's not like promising a thing that I have to wait for yeah but it's teasing me to the next paragraph but then this time when i didn't read it all in one night i was mm. like this is problematic because i have to like read backwards before i pick up where i'm where i am now in order to even remember what she's referencing yeah i would definitely get like five or six pages into a chapter take a deep breath start the chapter over <laughs> yikes yeah and the cat was just looking at me like what are you doing and i'm like i know kitten um, but yeah, it, it's, it seems like she's telling a lot of it from, like you said, she was telling it in 1990, but she's talking about how she would drive by Hailsham house and she would like kind of see it. And then she'd like see something about Norfolk and like laugh about that because they're inside joke. And then she'd go to work, but she's out there. She's in the real world. 
But all we see of her in the real world is really her at work. Yeah. So we don't see what her living situation is. We don't see if she's the one driving the car. We don't see a lot of things about... It sounds like she's out and she's on the outside and she's living with all the normals. Um, But I kind of have a hard time believing that. I, I think that the setting talks about Hailsham being this controlled environment and it focuses on that a lot. And then we're kind of under the illusion that that was then. But I strongly believe that that is right now. Like, it, you know, like Miss Lucy said, you're not going to America because you're not leaving the country. And you might not even leave the county because uh, there will be a time where we need to call upon you and you need to be available. And yeah, so so we're led to believe that she's out of that environment now. I don't buy it. Hmm. I, I have thoughts, but I think if I say any of them, it will spoil things. Oh, yeah. Alyssa knows how the story ends, by the way, guys, in case you <laughs> didn't catch up on that. <laughs> um, I, uh, I did have a different thought, though, that I could say. Mm, one, mm. one thing that as I was reading this, um, I think the first time I read this, I hadn't read The Handmaid's Tale yet. Okay. And you haven't read nope, The Handmaid's nope, Tale. Nope, I have not. Um, but you know some of the premise... Um, yeah, generally, yeah. Um, for readers who might not know, it's, it's, um, women who are fertile are put into homes to then bear children for other men. That's like their whole thing. That is, they're raised for this purpose. And I really felt like reading it this time around that this school scenario Mm -hmm. is a, a sort of, um, transposed version of the like schools mm. in Gilead, like that that we see one of the characters' daughters at one point, but we don't ever actually get to interact with her or see what her life is like. But she's yeah. being raised yeah. and indoctrinated into this society, and I imagine that that school situation isn't too far from this one. Yeah, that... of, of you are a girl who is potentially fertile, and you're going to end up in a scenario like this, and we're going to raise you lovingly because you're kids and we're humans and humans are naturally inclined to love kids they have those big eyes and the pheromones and those weird smells that you're supposed to want to take care of them it's weird it's and so i don't think that there's they're abused and also they're trying to like create a system that sustains itself Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and this is the result of that it's on an alternate timeline in a very different world with a very different function but that's what it is. It's they're they're indoctrinated in a society that is self-sustaining. Yeah, essentially, yeah. And this is all that they know. And I think when they get out there into the big world, like you said, with the class choices and stuff, they're being bred to not bred. They're being no? <laughs> raised. Well, <laughs> yeah, but they're being trained to interact with the world at large. But not to live in it. Not- it's more like if you if your driver goes to a gas station and you get out with him, you will be able to buy yourself a candy bar. But like that's about it. <laughs> it's you're you're trained to survive in it, but not shape it. Yeah, very much so. There's no political office. <laughs> there's, I doubt there's any voting here. Um, but yeah, it's so that's that's kind of my general thoughts on the place setting 
and the importance of Hailsham House being so controlled, I feel like it's just a precursor for us understanding that zoomed out a bit and enlarged a bit. And um, I wonder how much, like if you're raised in an environment that is quasi loving and everyone buys into like, mm-hmm. you can't escape, like that isn't even a thought. Yeah. Do, do you need those boundaries when you're older? Like if you're raised that way and you, they get you in your formative years? I mean, you've seen that picture of the elephants with a rope tying them to a chair, right? Where it's like yeah, and that's, you, you started it when they were young enough that they couldn't move it. So they just lived their whole life thinking they couldn't move it. So, yeah, I mean, that is <laughs> kind of one of those stories where you're like, okay, that sounds cute. But at a certain point, you think an elephant would be like, I can totally move this. But I, I think it's more for the lesson behind it than anything else. Uh, I, I guess since we're talking about the enclosure of this place, what about that weird suicide thing and miss lucy like okay do you have that line bookmarked somewhere what she said the 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 electric fences yeah that must have been five or six Uh, chapter seven oh that was seven okay beginning of it oh yeah because they were all yeah it's like right before we had the miss lucy freak out yeah um Alyssa will have the quote here in a moment, but essentially the kids are joking about like getting shocked by an electric fence. And one of the kids brings up how weird it would be or like how weird it is that you can just go commit suicide at any time if you're surrounded by an electric fence, which they're not. But they were talking about concentration camps in World War Two. Um, what, what quote specifically? Uh, what Miss Lucy said under her breath where she's essentially like. Yeah, wouldn't it be funny? Or something like that. She said this weird kind of menacing that line. That y- you get terrible accidents sometimes? Oh, yeah. I guess that's it. Yeah. You get terrible accidents sometimes around electric fences or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. You get... It's just as well the fences at Hailsham aren't electrified. You get terrible accidents sometimes. She said this quite softly. And because people were still shouting, she was more or less drowned out. But I heard her clearly enough. Wow. You get terrible accidents sometimes. You actually like read it in like a softer voice as it describes. I felt it was a bit menacing. Like, yeah, like you get some accidents. Like it just, it, I don't know. I read it in a completely different tone of her like looking off into the distance and saying that and being like, ugh. Like, I don't know why that's creepy, but that's kind of creepy. Like she, she says it like, oh, I've never thought about this. So, um, <laughs> I, because uh, there, there are I, I pulled them all out because every fence that we meet seems <laughs> important. Is there a fence category here there that I'm is. not seeing? Where fences, is this? way at the bottom. You're kidding. Um, me. there's the Hailsham perimeter, which, which <laughs> no kid ever wants to run away because if you run away, then you end up in the woods, and the woods are haunted by kids who ran away before. Yeah. And then you have this suicide by fence story, and then you have later, mm-hmm. um, when. Kathy is talking about uh, watching movies together and mm-hmm. they're watching The Great Escape and the American jumps over the barbed wire fence and that's everyone's favorite scene and they make them replay it over, over and, and over and over, and over again and yeah. I was just like man you are trapped and either you aren't really able to solidly say that mm-hmm. or you're afraid to yeah but yeah. anyway, that's not the point. Um, the, the there is actually a fences section, by the way. She's not joking. I'm not kidding. These notes are very uh, meticulous. <laughs> um, 
so yeah, you get terrible accidents sometimes. I didn't think of, I was trying to figure out what she meant in that. And I wonder if at one point there were electric fences. I definitely considered that. Absolutely like, that's considered that. how they created it. That's that's the elephant, actu- elephant actually tied to a tree. Yeah. That was the tree. And now the kid, they the system is held up enough that they don't need electric fences, and also is awful. I'm going to switch the metaphor from the elephant thing, sure, uh, because that uh, doesn't apply as much. I, have you heard the monkeys in the room trying to get to the banana? No. Okay, so <laughs> <laughs> tell so, me another animal metaphor. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. These were some scientific studies. Uh, I do not remember the name of them. They might be in the show notes at secretweaponproductions.com. Uh, Maybe not, but uh, <laughs> it's the whole notion of, okay, so there's a room full of monkeys and like there's a banana hanging from a rope and uh, <clears throat> one of the, essentially, if a monkey grabs that banana, everybody gets shocked or sprayed or something unpleasant happens. Um, so they kind of come to realize that whenever, whenever somebody goes and grabs that banana, something bad happens to all of them. So they start... If a monkey starts going for that banana, all the other monkeys tear that monkey down. They pull it away. They say, no, 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 no. Do not do that. But um, the scientists started swapping out old monkeys for new monkeys. And by the end of the experiment, none of the monkeys that were in there had actually experienced the negative side effect of the what happens when you push the button or when you pull the banana. None of them had actually been sprayed or shocked or anything like that. But because they had been told by everybody, no, 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 don't do that. They, everybody believed not to do it, even though none of them actually knew what happened when it, and and that's a. It's a little bit like the the experiment of you you go into a a doctor's office and, and you just stand up. Yeah. Periodically. And you get everybody to stand up and there's no reason. And by the end of it, it's, (laughs) everyone's doing it. It's a lot like that. Um, it's that group think. Yeah. So yeah, electric fences. Uh, I could see how you only have to have a couple people um, hurt real bad from that before a word would get out of like, yeah, never, ever touch the fences. <laughs> even if you don't know what happens or if you don't even know if they're electric, they don't know if they're electric. Right? I mean, they talk about it and they're like, well, they were electric fences in World War II, but our fences aren't electric. I, I Nobody's think they touched were, those I fences. I think they were wood fences, but I'm not positive. Okay. I can't remember. Um, but so when when I was reading it mm-hmm. this time, before you put this thought in my head that like, oh, at one point maybe there were electric fences and yeah. that's why she seems so haunted by that yeah. statement. Yeah. Um, my other thought was that she's, she's very aware and she's... It, very troubled by the system that they have created mm. and then for those kids on mass to m- to mime committing suicide all in a room yeah with who was it who stood up on the table and started doing it the one character laura or whatever who always takes a little bit too far yeah yeah and and to to have this awful system that she's perpetuated then to end with a bunch of small children killing themselves and not even really understanding like subconsciously they know something's off and they they, they've been told and not told their whole lives and they're 
processing it without processing it. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. so she's seeing this from the outside and thinking like, if all of this then is for naught, yeah, then like that's even more awful that yeah. that we tortured these people and we confined them and we enslaved them for their body parts and <laughs> and then it's they they kill themselves rather than go through with it. It's yeah. it's that's incredibly haunting. And so that was what I thought when I was reading it. But now I'm like, oh, and then on top of that, it's someone <laughs> actually doubled down at some point and maybe that's how they whipped him into shape to begin with. Yeah. Very possible. Maybe if it was even unintentional. Like <laughs> I how, mean how bad must public health be? Mm. What happened? Oh boy, this might be a <laughs> Have we set up? Have we set up enough groundwork for these questions? I, I mean, I I don't know. I I think why why not? Yeah, uh, sure. We'll just get right into what happened. Um, how how did they get here? Well, okay. Honestly, we could use one of these systems right now. There are not enough organs to go around. That the waiting lists are very long. And we pretty much have to wait for someone to die that has a matching blood type. And those organs, even though they died, are still in good enough shape. So it's like they can't have died from too bad of a thing. And if they died from old age, well, those organs stopped working. So it's like we're already in this weird system where there are a lot of people waiting for other people to die in very specific ways. So we're already there in terms of the need. Um so what does it take for society to actually take those steps? Um, I guess I just wonder how how long do these people live? Mm-hmm. Like, is it has it dramatically prolonged life? Oh, in that, or yeah. has something happened that has dramatically decreased your your the number of years you're likely to live like smoking really took off and now there's like a crazy cancer or yeah or you know agent orange is is spread or i think or or a developmental (sighs) disorder or ebola (laughs) i never really got the vibe of the adults being scared or like radically upset by conditions i mean the guardians are probably i mean they describe lucy as being older right she's kind of squat brown hair hair is always everywhere yeah but she's, she's stocky and but she's probably in her like 30s right yeah she seems younger really to, like she, she she doesn't seem like she's uh i don't know there there's like a quality that older people in a system like this Mm -hmm. have of Mm -hmm. of buying in or really aggressively not and that's like the miss emily's of the world and miss lucy seems like she was in it for for a couple of years and it seemed like a good thing because i was caring for kids Mm -hmm. and and yeah this is a good thing and maybe maybe she had like family members who really benefited from this and yeah and then so realizing that these are people so let's extrapolate. Okay, so you're this book is clearly setting us up um, just with the writing style and the general notion of keeping us sectioned off like this and uh, kind of half telling us stuff and giving us just enough. It's setting up for a sort of twist and a sort of surprise. Uh, so I think for it to be as simple as, yeah, people need organs more because general unhealth of the population 
that seems a little too simple. Um, so yes, that's a, I definitely, I mean, you know how it ends, but, um, (laughs) I think that's definitely a valid thing of like, yeah, something came up, need more organs and need it real bad. I think it's more likely that there's kind of a bit of a darker side to it in that, um, like, yeah, the rich live to 150 and, you know, once you have the certain amount of money, you can swap out your organs and it's this whole thing and you can live for 200 years and you can stay on top. Um, I don't think the average citizen is benefiting from this. Not widespread. It's not socialized health care with these it, organs. Not at all. This is for a very specific group of people for very specific reasons. And for them to go through all this effort, it's someone who wants it real bad, has the resources to get it, and um, hmm. has has the political sway to make society okay with it. So we're either talking some very rich and powerful people or there's some ruling with fear thing where it's you need these types of people to be alive. Um, or it's super secretive. Yeah, yeah, it could be super secretive. Maybe that's why they're off in the w- middle of nowhere. And I definitely consider that this is some sort of X-Men thing. And that is possible because they're training them, hey, don't stick out. Don't stick out. If you're ever out in public, hey, yeah, you can buy stuff and you'll seem normal. Um so it is possible that this is some sort of secret thing. Um, if I had to guess, though, I'd say the public knows about it, but maybe doesn't quite understand the extent of it. Um, and yet they've been convinced that it's okay because it's for the greater good. That's kind of my guess. Uh, if everybody was completely unaware of it, then this World War II analogy that they're talking about would be real interesting because this mm-hmm. essentially would be that in that everybody believed in this political system and a lot of people were completely unaware of the concentration camps. Even in Germany, they were completely unaware of where all these people were going. They knew people were disappearing. They knew their Jewish neighbors weren't there one week, but they had no idea where they were going. It could very well be that situation. Um Though I don't want to jump straight to Holocaust because that also feels a little too easy. <laughs> so general health epidemic feels a little too easy. Holocaust and it's the worst thing ever feels a little bit too easy. There's something nuanced in the middle here. Mm-hmm. Um, which leads to my question, why not take their corneas? Alyssa, corneas are hard to come by. Did Did it mention... It has not take corneas. uh, It's mentioned four donations, and um, Harry had just come out of his last donation, and he saw her. So (laughs) still out his eyes. Uh, Maybe they wait until they're dead for that. Uh, Yeah, I wonder if there's a fifth after you've completed, as they say. Yeah, I thought completed just meant died <laughs> i think it definitely means you're gonna die yeah i i think it, it means you died it's the nice yeah it's the it's the sterile way of saying it and also the dehumanizing way of saying mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. like I'm, we're not going to talk about your life like it's a life yeah you've completed your mission yep you've done your job well done it's uh it's very strange and that's kind of how they would do it right like you don't get people to donate blood by saying like, it, you know, statistics rarely do it. You more have to sell people on the idea of be a hero, get a cookie. And yeah, like 
banging that drum is very effective, uh, especially for people who have been in doctrine like this. Anyway, uh, whew, back to something a little lighter. Let's talk about their artwork. Yeah. Um, and the whole creative thing. Creativity. And I, th- I knew that it would be something that you would be interested in. When I got to this part of the book, I'm like, mm, Alyssa, what are you doing here? <laughs> Picking a perfect book for Clark. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for those who don't know, I am a visual artist. Uh, I like to paint. I like to Photoshop things. Um, I don't, you know, I'm always trying to do it more and more and more. And uh, it's getting to where it's like I now have like a studio and a whole bunch of paints and a whole bunch of projects that I'm working on now. So, uh, yeah, I'm a visual artist. So this this whole thing of like creativity, um, yeah, it appealed to me. And uh, it's kind of, I was a little bit jealous that their school is just a whole lot of art and making things. And I'm like, oh, this is great. All we need is like bug playtime and this would be my perfect school. So the the thing that it it just kept coming up and like creativity was a it's a status symbol in mm-hmm, this mm-hmm. society and i i sort of and 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 then there's the whole deal with Tommy mm. and his elephant that's childish the elephant in the room maybe a little bit mm. elephant tied to the tree <laughs> uh-huh um, bring them all back and he is not good at it He's not good at art. No. And he feels shame and he's frustrated. And then Miss Lucy pulls him aside and says, don't worry about it. You don't need to worry about it. You were a great student. You're mm-hmm. one of the best mm-hmm. I've ever had. It doesn't matter. She didn't quite say that. She said, some teachers think that you're a very good student. <laughs> she third person that real big, real hard. Um, I don't remember that. Oh, I, yeah. I think, I think when it's recalled... I, I think when she revisits it with Tommy later, she says like, "Oh, it's more direct." Or, or that, yeah, I think there's, I mm. think it, there's a callback to it, and it's, and he mentions something about like, "I, I thought I was a great student," and this and that. And, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and so she says it's fine, and then he's fine because he doesn't have to strive for this thing that's not his talent. Mm-hmm. And then she reneges on him. Yeah, and yeah. and and she tells him that it's evidence yeah she specifically uses the word evidence oh we should set the stage a little bit i know you guys have all read it or uh should have read it (laughs) if you've gotten this far we've already spoiled a lot of it (laughs) yeah but just in case um yes the students have an art class and they're taking all these art stuff and being creative is a big deal but being creative is partially a big deal because all of their artwork goes into this marketplace and other students will buy their artwork with these like little tokens that they get. And we'll we'll get into the economy here in a little bit. This isn't really the place to talk about it. But um, yeah, the students will make this artwork and go put it in front of their peers so everybody can go and look at it and judge it. And if they really like it, they'll buy it and keep it as like a keepsake in their little chest. And it's a big deal. And it's a huge compliment to have your work purchased. And it's a huge deal. You know, you, you want to be good at it because this this isn't just an art class. This is actually like a big part of their economy. And it's teaching capitalism. Yeah. Yeah. And it's teaching them the importance of things. And also there is the character of Madam who will come in and who will take the best pieces in her mind. And in a lot of people's mind, a lot of people agree that she really does take the good stuff. Um, 
And this lady that comes from the outside world and just comes in every now and then takes the best work from the marketplace and keeps it for herself in her gallery. And at first, nobody got compensated for this, so they just lost their best piece and they nobody bought it, so they didn't get paid for it. And it was this whole thing, but they figured that out. Um, but anyway, that's that's why this whole creativity thing matters um, and why Tommy not participating in it was kind of a big deal. Um, yeah, so when Miss Lucy came and said those things, it was really like a weight off of his shoulders because he's like, oh, thank goodness. There's a lot of social pressure to be active in this creative marketplace. I I disagree a little bit that that's why it matters. I think that's it's part of why it matters. But okay. I think there's there's another layer there of buying in. Okay. And if he's not committed to it, it's a level of of opting out which is dangerous. Okay, yeah, I would agree with that because if it's dangerous to the functionality of their society. Yeah, if that's just seen as an option where you can either play or not play and it doesn't really matter, yeah, that's a problem. It it's it's like if we suddenly devalued the dollar. Like yeah, like suddenly yeah. your currency isn't your currency anymore, it doesn't matter. Mm. It's it's he needs to agree that there's value there. Yeah. Okay, that's a very good point. Um which is why it was weird that Miss Lucy told him that. Mm-hmm. And it didn't really, we're like, okay, like you're saying that it's all right. But nobody else seems to think that around you. None of your peers seem to think it's all right. Um, and no one's bothering to check them on it. No one's bothering to humble them. Yeah, yeah. And and sort of rein them in. Yeah. So the people who want to be rampant and want to be just rabid about this, mm-hmm. yeah, that's fine. But the one person over here who's tugging at Miss Lucy's heartstrings and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. just torn up and inept, apparently, is... is That's what did it. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what made her crack for some reason and say some stuff, which she was not well enough informed to make that statement, which is why she reneged so hard and then explained that she had learned somewhere in the meantime in those two or three years that, uh, yeah, this was evidence. Um, and it matters. And it matters. So, okay, this is weird because you've already, you know what evidence means, but what did you think it meant when you first read it? Where did Where did you think that was going? I'm, I've I've only read this book once. Oh, okay. Um, it's not like Harry Potter. Then. It's not like Harry Potter for <laughs> All me. All right, um, yeah. So I know where it's going, but it's 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 going into an interesting place, um, and so I I kind of want to ask you, what yeah. do you think? Okay. Um, evidence. Uh, so, I mean, we're breeding these kids for a purpose to donate their organs. So part of me thinks that they're putting it together like uh, <laughs> like you almost get to, like, choose which kid you get your organs from. And you choose uh-huh. that by, like, looking at, like, here's kind of – here's what this kid does. And this kid is very talented. And, like, you can almost look at the little galleries and be like, yes, I connect with that person. I would like that kid. It's like sperm donors. Like, yeah, oh, yeah. he's a soccer player. That's <laughs> who I want my kid's dad to be. And it's like your kid's no, – it's not going to matter that he's a soccer player. Yeah. Honestly, very much so. Does he have a recessive so. gene for this, like <laughs> – is, is he a – 
redhead. Like <laughs> Yeah. Like just because you want it to happen or it has happened in your bloodline yeah. is no guarantee whatsoever. But yeah, that's totally how people market that. Yeah. And yeah. Uh interesting. So that is very much how I viewed it of like, select your donor. Here's this talented one. Uh, imagine the kidneys on this one. Real, oh, ta- real talented creative kidneys on this one. Uh, she can really process through all this crap and uh, spit out something wonderful. Just like these kidneys. Uh, yeah, so that was kind of my vision of it. Um, because, again, if it is some sort of weird power thing with the rich and everything, like, you only want the organs from like the best of the best. So this is kind of their way of filtering that. Um, It could also be some weird sort of thing to the outside world of like, see all these kids in these camps, they're just making artwork. Look at this. Isn't this great? Look at what they're doing. And they're kind of Uh, able to like put that up to the world and be like- Justification. Yeah. Well, and even like, Eh, don't worry about why they're in this camp. It's the curtain. It's the curtain. Exactly. Like, look at this. Look at, oh, look at, we have all these kids set apart in this special place. And we're just, we're creating this magical world where there's no economy and there's no, well, there is an economy. But like, look at what happens when we raise these kids in this utopia. Isn't this great? Look at what comes out of that. And then kind of leaving out the whole idea that like, oh yeah, and we take their organs. (laughs) But, like, maybe this is the the sugar that helps the medicine go down. See, and I I, I think this is the thought that I had when I read this the Mm. first time. Mm -hmm. It's definitely the thought I had at this, I had this time. I can't remember what the, where it lands. Mm. I cannot remember where it lands. Interesting. It goes one place and I don't. (laughs) That, that's all I'll say is it goes one place. I can't remember where it lands. Hmm. Um, but the thing that I thought initially, mm-hmm. and I still think it when I'm reading it, is is it's not evidence to the public. Hmm. It's evidence. I don't know what Madam's role is in this world. Hmm. But I think I think it's it's evidence of their humanity okay i think it's evidence that these kids are creative Hmm. and coming from miss lucy who's troubled by the system she'll feel a conviction when she at first she thinks it's just art we're just occupying these kids yeah yeah we're we're just trying to give them pleasant enough lives for them to not challenge it Mm -hmm. so it doesn't matter if it's driving you that crazy it doesn't matter tommy and then to turn around and realize, no, this is, if you're good enough and if you prove that that you're a human under it, mm-hmm. you're creative. Like we aren't making creators. We aren't making people who shape the world. We're not hmm. thinking about that. But if you prove through your artwork that you could be. Yeah. Maybe your existence outside of this world is justified outside of this system. Hmm. And maybe we can break the system. Yeah, that could be. This is kind of their <laughs> I genuinely don't don't remember. <laughs> yeah. I re- I remember part of where it's going. Hmm. But so let's talk real quickly about the economy. Uh I don't know what else? Like we said, like the main thing is students will buy things from other students. Um, 
They will also buy things that come in weekly from the sale, which is just like two vans worth of goods. Um, could be used goods for all we know, honestly. It feels very goodwill to me with like, who knows what's going to show up? Who knows what kind of condition it's going to be in? Like, the, they're not getting brand new stuff that like the mall is donating in my mind. Um, yeah. Well, there's that. Uh, I, um, the economy is is just a tiny facet of this overall f- very real feeling of scarcity yeah. in this community. There's like the the one scene that sticks out in my mind is they're in art class or music class or something, mm-hmm. and 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 it's like chapter seven or something. So we've we've been in this book for a while, and then suddenly. Kathy says offhandedly like we know it already that there's never enough seats for everyone and so one person sits in the desk and and then two other people sit (laughs) on top of it it. it's like how how are you cramming all these kids in here and also like she talks about this place like it's a magical fairyland but Mm -hmm. there's no room there's no room and and it's inadequate and that's, for that many kids. Yeah, and that's exemplified by Kathy's game of find a spot that doesn't have people in it. Yeah. And for like, focus on it and pretend that like maybe I, there aren't that many people. I like to walk through the halls when everyone else is in class because they're all in class and I can look out the window and I can find a corner where there's yeah. no one in it and imagine that I'm the only person who lives in this house. Hmm. And it's just like, man, like you are crammed in there. And and you're trying to picture your life as a normal human, yeah. Who is just uh, and there and there's there's no private room, and I don't mm-hmm. think that's super strange for kids in a boarding school. But yeah, like to go from a massive dorm to then like six beds a dorm, and yeah. then and then there was this really interesting scene with um when Ruth asks. Kathy to talk to Tommy for her and set them back up together. Okay. And they're in the dormitory and they're and it was odd to me that this the specificity of this story went this way, but Kathy sat down on Ruth's bed and Ruth sat down on Kathy's bed. And there was just this feeling of like like if you're in your own dorm and you're in your dorm with your roommate, like you sit on your bed. You don't yeah. sit on the other person's bed. Hmm. And and you don't swap, but there's a, just a sort of so there's like a collective a, a symbolism of yeah like we we share everything hmm. we and like then there's the the headphones when yeah. when they have the Walkmans and you you listen for twenty seconds and if you listen long enough it feels like you heard, you the, heard whole the whole thing, thing by yourself if you loop it a whole bunch of times yeah. it's like that's there's not enough for these kids but also these kids are all very okay with sharing everything yeah like they, yeah. they're raised in this environment and and they just accept that their normal is nothing's really mine yeah and kathy even said so offhandedly most of your credits go to replacing things that have worn out like most of them like and there are very few opportunities for buying precious things yeah Enough that, like, you have a chest at the end of your bed, and that's it. Uh, and within that scarcity, I'm really surprised she did bring up theft, and things would go missing occasionally. But when her tape went missing, she never really thought to blame it on a student. In my mind, she asked around all the students, but, like, she never thought somebody stole it. She just thought, it's gone now. 
I wonder, which I thought was interesting. I'd be freaking out, man. Yeah. I would be freaking out. I yeah. I wonder how much of that is is trust of her fellow student, but I think also a lot of it. also the the fact that what you have is so few mm-hmm. that. And and what matters to you is is almost broadcast. Like she's she's pretty private yeah, about about yeah. her Judy Bridgewater tape, but I don't think like I, it's before she got a Walkman. It was she could only listen in public spaces. Yeah, she could only yeah. listen on public radios. Yeah, and so whoever else is in that room with her also heard that, and she found private moments, but how many times did she publicly listen to that and people affiliated that with her? And that's one of her precious items. Yeah. That's a good point. And so she could ask around for it, but if someone else turned up with it, yeah. How, I, I can't imagine that there wouldn't be a whole bunch of other people in the school who would look at that and say, nah, that's Kathy's. Yeah. You don't get to take that from some, if you're taking that from Kathy and it means that much to Kathy, what else are you taking? Yeah. It's it's just not accepted. So it's not environment for theft. Like how would you keep it? You you have to have almost private things for someone to actually steal it and not have a whole gang of students at your back. Yep. Yep. Even if you're not liked, because even if you were to steal from Tommy, if you're willing to steal from Tommy, like you're you're a thief. <laughs> like well, I don't think that would have gone down. And I bet someone would have. I bet someone stole from Tommy at some point. He yeah. was not very well liked. Poor but then guy. it's like groupthink. Yeah. Yeah. Then it's a whole bunch of people playing a trick on Tommy, and he throws a tantrum and they laugh, and then someone throws it away. Like I can't imagine someone would steal something from Tommy and keep it. Yeah. No. 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 It'd be part of a prank. Mm-hmm. Like and, the prank then, with his elbow. And maybe I make it disappear. Mm-hmm. But even then, I bet they'd give it back. It seems like everything is pretty fleeting with these guys. Yeah, or or, or maybe they don't give it back, but they just leave it somewhere. I could see that. Just carelessly, yeah. like he'll find it, whatever. Yeah. And then move on, yeah. or not even think about that. Just like I took it. Wasn't that reaction funny? Yeah, the bullying seems pretty gentle, all things considered. Uh. Yeah, I mean it, it's it's all pretty psychological for boys actually yeah it yeah it, it, it and I, I don't know maybe the whole I'm wrong thing there. with the elbow is quite the trick yeah i mean guys can definitely be just as psychological but it did seem that that's that's what worked best with tommy you know i don't he was stronger than a lot of them i don't think they could have really physically bullied him because he was uh he was a loose cannon you know, like, yeah, they wanted to rile him up, but nobody wanted to fight the guy. Yeah, he hit Kathy. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, I think they bullied him in a way that they knew they could get away with without starting a fight. Because nobody wanted to fight him. Um, that's th- that's how I view it. Why do you think they did it? Did what? Why do you think they bullied him? As kids. Like, Kathy blames it on, well, he had tantrums. He was easy to rile up. Mm-hmm. And so it was fun but i i don't i don't trust her who's analysis of that who's like their ethical like i mean you could get a nature versus nurture you could say well kids will be kids if uh you know if someone legs behind you make fun of it or you could also do the nurture route and be like well their parents didn't raise them right wait a second no parents wait a second (laughs) (laughs) definitely not raised right (laughs) definitely not raised right so you could take that either way nature nurture either kids will be kids or nobody taught them better 
Um, choose like, your argument. <laughs> why pick on him and why gang up on him? Was it because of his tantrums or were the tantrums a result of they picked on him a bunch? Yes. Um, I'm assuming everyone got picked on and he's the first one to react kind of funny and they're like, huh. That was funny like, and uh, just kind of became the thing to do. Maybe yeah. maybe he is more on the spectrum than the average kid. And uh, so yeah, yeah. That, there's that. Or but, he's more of a late bloomer. And I just, I sort of wonder if the bullies enjoyed it or if the bullies were trying to, were, were afraid of him because he's big and charismatic and... Teachers like him, girls teachers like him. Teachers like him, girls like him, and so we're going to put him in his place I because thought, he can't be better than us. Yeah, I thought very, very little about the bullying thing, not going to lie. This seems like totally normal. Like, <laughs> I didn't think well, into it because it's like there's nothing extraordinary about it. I'm not I, I'm not even saying that it's not extraordinary, um, or I, I'm not even saying that it is extraordinary. I, I just don't really understand the mind of a bully, I guess. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. like it is this a byproduct of of their system, or are these bullies trying to keep him down because they feel smaller, or do they genuinely enjoy picking on him? Yeah, I couldn't tell you. I don't know. <laughs> it could be crabs in the bucket pulling him down to get higher. I don't know. It if it was meaner bullying, and if it was like really cruel bullying, then I'd think about it more. But like. It just seems run of the mill. You bully the, you pick on the kid because you get a funny reaction when you pick on the kid, and that's about it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Maybe there is more power struggle behind it, but to me, it's like, yeah, it's just kind of you do it once and it's funny, and then everybody just kind of does it, and everybody takes their turns, and then they lay off for a bit because it gets boring, and then, you know, because they stopped doing it when he stopped reacting. Really, like when he was cool and chill for a while, it stopped. And then, it, you know, so Kathy says, so Kathy says, yeah. OK, OK, let's let's divert here. <laughs> How about this narrator? Huh? Let's uh, let's talk a little bit about the reliability of this narrator. Um, it's not. It's not. <laughs> she tells things backwards. She tells things um, completely scatterbrained. She seems completely like focused on ex- exactly what she wants to talk about and nothing more um, in that like. If she wanted to actually give us, like, knowledge, if her job was to inform us on her life and the situation around her, this would not be the way to do it. This is very much like, I want to tell you stories. Like, she's not actually trying very hard to inform us. Or if she is, she's real bad at it. Well, okay, so here's my question for you to counter your question. Okay. We, the reader, are a character. In this book. Mm-hmm. She yeah. she has said a couple of times, like, I don't know how it was where you were. Yeah. The fourth wall is thoroughly broken. Yeah. yeah. Who are we? Um, what's, what's the relationship between the reader and Kathy? That's a good question. Uh, this could be Anne Frank's diary. Um, could be. It could also be her... Yeah, I think Anne Frank's diary is a pretty good comparison because... She could very much be writing this to a fictional person, to a hypothetical, to a, much like V for Vendetta, you know, the letters she wrote on the toilet paper where she's like, I don't know who's going to read this, but I need to write it. I need to feel like I I at least got my story out there. Oh, interesting. And hopefully, 
hopefully somebody else finds it and it and it empowers them um and it shows them that they can be anything and that their lives are important uh yeah or it could be like Anne Frank's where she wrote it as more of a coping mechanism it was more of a thing where she was trying to inform and she was trying to give a life but it was also her escape from you know she was in a small place with a bunch of people and they were trying to keep quiet and writing's a pretty quiet thing to do um so you kind of do that to pass the time and also to inform and also to kind of journal and therapy. Uh, so it could be that it could be a manifesto to leave behind. It could also just be like, as it's written, it kind of just seems like a letter you'd write to a friend of like, Hey, remember that one time? Um, Does it have to be written? No, this could be, oral this could be like a recording this could be i guess i guess what else would it be like it could be oral yeah it could be a video so i have a theory i don't know that we ever get the answer to this either okay (laughs) in in the beginning of this book she's talking about taking care of people and Mm -hmm. her her donors and i don't remember what the word she uses for her people but she tries to pick out hailsham people yeah, yeah, she definitely prefers. And then when she doesn't get Hailsham people, they want to hear about Hailsham because Hailsham was this bright, shining spot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Maybe she's talking to a donor, a person. Oh, that could be. Yeah. Maybe she's just making sense of it and they're they're not well because they're lit- missing most of their vital organs <laughs> yeah. and weak and so she sits in their room and talks to them and that's how she cares mostly and... talks to herself and yeah cycles like through it and the alternative is the other thought i had was well maybe maybe we're the carer hmm yeah i could see that and maybe she's oh she's the donor well she's definitely i mean she will be a donor. Well, she will be, but that's how this ends. What's the point at which <laughs> she's telling her story? Yeah, I can like, very much and, see and that. who is she talking to? And that's I just felt like are, I like are, that. Of, are we in the system? And at what point are we in the system? And I don't know. I don't know if we're the ones asking to be told about Hailsham so that we, mm, yeah, can. Oh, what was the line? I I wrote it down. We're not doing favorite quotes, but I still wrote them down anyway. Um, uh, what he wanted was not to hear about Hailsham, but to remember Hailsham, just like it had been his own childhood. Hmm. And I and I feel like that's how I feel when I'm reading this book. Like it's just familiar enough hmm. for me to feel like I could have been there. Mm-hmm. Like and mm-hmm. and part of that is how she tells it, and part of it is the very real relationships that are in it. And, and it just, I don't know if it's, if she's so good at telling the story and so she's telling the story on mm. her own bed or yeah. if she's telling the story again and still making sense of it and potentially tormented by her entire life before this and trying to put it in order in a way that's palatable for her. Yeah, I want to go with that one. I'm going with that one. That seems that's so that's she's what a carer. You're you're in the carer land. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Um, and that also makes sense because the way she talks and the way that she brings up information, there's this whole thing of like the you, person that she's talking to. They know 
all of the frameworks and stuff. She's mm-hmm. not explaining this to someone completely outside of the society. She's saying like, yeah, like, well, I was this age when they told us about this, which of course, you know, that's a thing, but this is when I found out about it. When did you find out about it? You know, it's like, she's assuming that we know all of this. She's either assuming that or she's not concerned about yeah. us not knowing. Yeah, could be. Which, like, the, the I've thought she, about the journal, too, and, like, she created a person yeah. in the journal that she's writing to. I like the V for, v for Vendetta reference, though, because yeah. that feels a little more real than her just writing this down mm-hmm, to a mm-hmm. fictional journal. Mm-hmm. But the, like, I'm going to get my story out there. I'm going to get it down. It's going to be solid. Yep. But then it's not solid. The it's way that she writes it all. is so all over the place that it feels like it has to be oral. Yeah, we don't know she how many organs be, she's missing at this point. <laughs> she has to be talking. Yeah, it does seem very oral, it's, um, it's transcribed. Just like how I ramble. Mm-hmm, <laughs> and mm-hmm. I don't know. So let's, uh, is there anything else you want to touch on before we get into just like straight up prediction territory? Um, I, I There was one more thing that I specifically, I, and I don't really know what all to say about it, but mm-hmm. I, I think it deserves a mention mm-hmm. that we see the title in the story. <laughs> and it's the song. And it's a song. That she it's, sings. It's Never Let Me Go. And it's sung by Judy Bridgewater, which is a real song. And I went, I've listened to it the first time I read it. And mm-hmm. I listened to it again. Um, I wasn't sure if it was a real song. Not going to lie. I, I wasn't sure either. I always looked it up because I was like, I can't really remember if. I know I looked it up last time. I can't hmm. remember if I got an answer. <laughs> um, and it's, you know, it's it's bluesy 60s. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and it's 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 interesting. I think it's interesting to include a song and then to entirely misinterpret it. Yeah. And have that, that is really interesting. Misinterpretation have so much meaning. Yeah, in that she's like cradling a pillow like it's a baby and holding it to her breast and swaying. What a moment. Uh when really it's a love song. Yeah, it's not <laughs> about that. It's at it's all. a it's a romantic love song. And, and she admits that she just misinterpreted completely. And then for the song to mean so much to her and for her to just take it on so completely and then for the tape to go missing and Ruth mm-hmm. tried to find her a tape yep. and Ruth found her a different tape because she wanted to make it up to her and the tape wasn't that good and the music wasn't that good. It wasn't the same, but I but, treasured it anyway and I treasure it today yeah. because it came from Ruth. And yeah. that like, isn't that just how our childhood possessions become Mm -hmm, they're mm -hmm. lost and the reasons they were meaningful before are so moot now yep you just know that they are meaningful and were meaningful that's that's like what you know about them (laughs) and like you hang on to one thing because all you can all all, the reason it matters is it came from this person i cared about Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i don't really need that thing it barely means anything to me, but that yeah. person did, and it's the only remnant I have left. Yeah, especially because she was Ruth's carer, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, oh. this whole time that she's talking about Ruth, we're under the impression that Ruth's going to die before her uh, for whatever reason, and maybe it's because Ruth was so great that she uh, got chosen first because she was a ringleader and showed natural leadership and was creative, 
uh, maybe that's why she went first. And, and well, the, she she didn't handle her donations very well, though. Her no. recovery was rough. Yeah. And maybe it's people's punishments for not being creative enough that they just have to watch everybody else die first. Well, and Kathy is 31. Mm-hmm. And second, first sentence of the book, second sentence of the book, she's been a carer for 11 years. And she talks wow. about like, it sounds a really long time. They want me to go on for longer. I try not to brag about it. Like it's not, but like, I know that I'm good at what I do. Hmm. And it's, I mean, that's, she, she admits from the very beginning, it's an extraordinarily long amount of time and they still yeah. want me to do this. Yeah. And I don't know if that's a matter of, yeah, her kidneys aren't creative enough or, <laughs> or maybe she's good for the system. Yeah. Could maybe, be. maybe she's good for keeping people complacent. Because she tells them really long stories like this. <laughs> she, she gets them to remember Hailsham for the, themselves. Yeah, yeah. I could see that. Um, she's she's very good at being agreeable. We even see that with Tommy. You know, She's the only person who can really interface with him successfully. She's very intuitive. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She's, she's still a kid in these chapters, and she still has some hot-headedness to her, and, mm-hmm. and she can be wounded, but... She she is a carer in every sense of the word. Mm-hmm. And we even see if she wanted to be a mean girl, if she wanted to play ball with Ruth, she could definitely. She was equipped. Oh, yeah. yeah. She was oh, yeah. definitely able to go toe-to-toe. What is it? The, the like. Uh, Did she. The pencil case. Air appearance, but that wasn't it. But the when when it came down to Tommy, when they said like, oh, oh. you're the, the natural successor. That's what it was. Yeah. And then when she was saying like. Yeah, can you fix it up with Tommy? She's like, I agree that what you're saying is I should help set you up with Tommy. Like she stepped around that so much of like, I see what you're saying, but like at no point does she agree with her. At no point, like in, you feel like in the back of her mind, she's like, mm, I want Tommy for myself. Well, and the closest yeah. that she gets to challenging it though is mm-hmm. is saying like, are you really going to be good to him? Yeah. Which is not enough of a challenge, but it's no, it's not because that obviously be didn't work. By yeah. the end of this this part, they're together again. Yeah, and and even though she didn't really do much for it, like she she planted the seed that maybe they want to be back together. Yeah, and then she walked away from that conversation thinking I didn't really do the thing that Ruth asked me to do. Yeah, yeah, that didn't really work. Yeah, kind of reminds me of. Never mind. Stranger Things spoilers. I'm not going to say it. Uh, <laughs> some of the characters in Stranger Things, how they ended up with each other. Anyway, um, so yeah. I also okay. I do want to talk a little bit about um, just the the Guardians in general, how different they are. Um, Alyssa and I recently went to watch a play called Doubt. Mm. And um, yeah, <laughs> can you see where I'm going with yep. this? <laughs> So in this play, it's about... Um, There's a movie with Amy Adams, Meryl Streep, and... Oh, what? what's his name? What's his name? Uh, pff, I didn't know this movie Philip existed. Philip Seymour Hoffman. What? Yep. V? Wow. Yep. Okay. Um, Real good. Go see it. Yeah, check that out. But it is about uh, nuns <clears throat> in a nun place. I'm good at this. A Catholic school. A Catholic school, even. And uh, they are two very... One of them is a hardened... I've been doing this a long time knows all the knows all the tricks and knows the kids are just troublemakers and the other nun has only been in for about like three years five years 
We don't get a timeline. We don't get a timeline. But she's a bit newer at this, and she's a bit more filled with aspiration of like, no, kids are great. Kids are the future. They would never lie to us. And the pastor would never lie to us, especially about something terrible that he may or may not have done. And it's this whole dynamic of this this, um, person with a lot of doubts and this person who is so steadfast and so bought into the system that um, there's a lot of clashing there. Uh, And I saw definitely saw echoes of that in this and with these guardians of um, even the most stern ones and the ones that seem to really eat the dog food the most have these breaking moments and these moments of weakness where you're like, "Ah, maybe they're not utter zealots to this system. Maybe they're just really good at, at acting like everything's okay. And some of them are better than others at acting like it's okay. And it's interesting to see that dynamic. We also never see the guardians interact with each other. Really? It's this whole weird, like, if there was a... there, There's the one, like, voyeuristic moment when there's the secret guard for Miss Geraldine, and she walks away from another oh, of the couple guardians, yeah. and they, like, put their heads together and watch her go, and the secret guard believes that, like, oh, those two people are in on it, too, and... Yeah, because they, like, put their heads together so that they can whisper, because yeah, they... about Miss Geraldine, and Because the like, guardians are just like the kids. Watching from upstairs through a window, <laughs> like, you can't hear anything, you can't... Yeah. Like, it, it's all speculation. Yeah. So I did just want to bring that up about the guardians. It reminded me a lot of Doubt. Go check that out. I, with Miss Emily... Mm-hmm. Our sister Aloysius. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. There's a scene after uh, Kathy talks about after a particularly rowdy sale, she would gather the entire school up in the auditorium <laughs> oh, for these, yeah. Yeah, these yeah. lectures, and and I pulled out some quotes from that because none of the lectures are in full. Kathy doesn't remember much of anything, mm-hmm. and she. We'll say, like, I don't even really remember what she talked about, but it was usually stuff about how we were, uh, like, she always mentioned things like unworthy of privilege and misuse of opportunity. Mm, yeah, that's real weird. And Kids don't, that doesn't persuade children. Well, I I just, I wondered, I, I saw this, I saw Miss Emily in a different light because we've already experienced Miss Emily and she seems prickly, mm-hmm, but... Mm-hmm. But we've already been set up to to understand that the kids feel safer with her around because yeah. she feels like a fierce protector. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She she maybe doesn't love them, but she'll protect them. Mm-hmm. And and then to hear this unworthy of privilege thing, I wonder how much of the Kool Aid has she drank? Yeah. Does she look at these kids and think this is a gift? <laughs> This and is privilege. you yeah. aren't worthy Ugh, of it, boy. Like, is she a person who is holding up the structure because someone told her to, and they told her these sales keep them complacent, mm-hmm. and she actually believes the sales are garbage, and these kids, yeah, yeah, are garbage, yeah. And this is an opportunity, and you are squandering it. Like, I've had those lectures of. Like you treated this poorly, this was an opportunity, and you got rowdy, and like you lost it. (laughs) Yeah, you lost it. Yeah, and but there's there was something about that scene of after a rowdy sale, and then like and the the story that she kind of the pic the picture she painted with it was like kids fighting over things, Mm -hmm. and it's like I mean it's it's a zoo at some of these sales if if it's been 
a week or two of people sort of fomenting this this desire for certain items and four kids want it it's gonna get ugly yeah and if it comes to that and they're that animalistic about it like does that only cement their their subpar humanity in her mind i think so yeah it seems like it so yeah Yeah. it, it are are you in the camp of like she doesn't even think these kids are worth the special treatment that they do get yeah seems that way i think uh <sighs> i think she has moments of weakness but yeah and in that way i think that sister aloysius is a kinder <laughs> person mm. but oh man it's yeah. miss emily is maybe the most terrifying person in this book yeah of just true believer she's um handmaid's tale again she's the aunt lydia of sure. this Absolutely. and yeah she's horrifying I'll take your word for it on that one. (laughs) Yeah. So, okay. That's the Guardians. That's uh, a bit about that. Let's go on to predictions. Um, I didn't really have a whole lot of questions to ask, but... Well, predictions. uh, Who's this madam lady? What's her deal? Um, We already talked about what she does. Um, Let's talk a little bit about why she does it. And also... What, What does it mean? Yeah, and also in that vein, why is she so completely off-put by the kids to where she, like, shudders when they walk by her? And uh, She's afraid of them. She's afraid of them. Like a person's afraid of spiders. Yeah, that's real afraid. That's like, get it away from me. But it's also, like, uh, again, with the dehumanizing, it's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's creeped out by the person. It's, yeah, it's different from... Mm. I'm afraid of a person because a person has more autonomy. Yeah. <laughs> so predictions about why they can be seen as not human. Because the thing is, if they look exactly like humans and act very similar to humans, then why is it such like a visceral reaction? Which kind of leads me to believe, are they much different? Are they Are they are, physically are different? Are they physically different? Are they aliens like straight up are they aliens are they massive spiders are they massive spiders (laughs) are we harvesting their organs for not for humans but because they contain some sort of nutrient that we like for some other reason is this nothing to do with actual human organs going from one human into another human is there some other you know getting elephants tusks because it it gives you it helps you out uh is it is kind of like that um, so like, that's kind of one of my predictions. I'm not predicting that that's actually the case. I'm just saying like, that's one direction this book could go. The, the book has certainly not negated that. Yeah. Yeah. The book has certainly not. I think the book has tried to establish that they are human, but it's never expressly said that. <laughs> um, Fair. Yeah. So whatever can wear a polo i guess well that's true yeah (laughs) could be humanoid but not uh there could be some physical difference here um i've also had the thought that like straight up these kids could be people of color and everybody else is white these kids could be like jewish and or or you know asian anything that everybody else isn't or they are white or they are white and and nobody else is like they could just be straight up a different race Straight up a different hair color, straight up a different... uh, Freckles. Yeah, they could be like albinos. 
um, something like that. So that's another thought. Um, or they could just be normal little kids, but because she knows what's happening, it it's like little kids in horror movies. It's just a little kid, but it's really creepy because it's a little kid. So could be that as well. Um, as for what Madame, sorry, you can you can cut him whatever, but you know kind of where this is going. Um, as for what Madame is doing with the paintings, I do not know. I really don't have a good theory on that. I mean, I already posed the like, you know, pick your kidney donor. Um, or like the case that, see, these people are real humans. Uh, so that's as far as I can guess with that. As for where this whole book is going and what the twist is going to be, like I said, probably not the Holocaust, probably not just your average health decline. There's something else here. And it's going to seem real obvious after I read it. (laughs) And uh, there's some trickery. There's definitely some stuff going on behind the scenes, and it's really frustrating because I know that as soon as she says it, I'm going to be like, of course. We have been told but not told this entire book, and of course it's this. Everything leads up to this, and I can no longer read it without (sighs) – so I'm looking forward to that. I have no idea what it is yet, and I'm very grumpy about that. (laughs) What do you – do you think – am I setting my expectations too high? Or, or, or you, do you still think my mind's going to be blown a little bit? I'm, I'm very curious. I, mm, I think. Okay. Okay. Um, I don't know. You, you have a track record of, of pegging things, and then being really <laughs> underwhelmed when you're right. <laughs> Mostly just frustrated when I'm, I, for some reason, I like, prefer being wrong. Like you, you want to be surprised, <laughs> and so far you haven't really that much. Yeah, yeah. And when you have, you felt like it was because you, you expected better <laughs> of, of the writer <laughs> than that. Um, so yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm curious to see. I'm, I'm a little wary that you're going to be disappointed just hmm. because you it seems to be your predisposition but <laughs> that's okay i still like a book even if it's a i i know my my journey with this book the first two parts were really compelling and then the third part i struggled with hmm okay interesting i'm interested to see if that is still the case hmm yeah second time through that changes a lot yeah yeah it's already been an interesting journey very different from the first time around so yeah usually these books greatly reward rereading so i'm i in my mind you're definitely gonna have a better experience this time yeah. around have you found that to be true so far yeah you said you said interesting and different you didn't it's, say better <laughs> yeah I, I mean the first my first read was so engrossing that it's mm. it's kind of hard for me to imagine better it's frustrating to read it because again it's like it feels like this wasn't written for me but it totally was is this isn't like a a kid's book it's not like it's not written for me because it's written for children it's like it's written for me but by someone who by someone who isn't an author (laughs) i mean it's written by a very talented author from the viewpoint of someone who is a bad storyteller (laughs) So it's like a good storyteller through the lens of a bad storyteller. How do you define bad storyteller? Uh, 
Just like that. <laughs> yeah. Just like that. Just, it's, just. I knew it would drive you bonkers how yeah. unorganized it is. It's, it's not chronological and it's never going to be. I like adding order to chaos. I like adding order to chaos. And this is <laughs> a lot of chaos, but I'm enjoying it. And, um, I am looking forward to part two which uh, I guess we'll be talking about next episode. We managed to get most uh, most of this into a relatively, this is longer it's than long. most episodes. Um, the next ones should be hopefully a no, little bit shorter. Just no be- promises. <laughs> yeah, no promises, but uh, it covers fewer pages. So Yeah. All right. So, um, yeah, that's, that's it for part one of Never Let Me Go by Kazuo Ishiguro. Uh, wow. A lot there. Um we would love, love, love to hear your feedback, um, your opinions. Uh, please, no spoilers on the Twitter. Please, I'm trying real hard, guys. I, I like playing this game. Um, so please give us your thoughts and predictions and stuff. And if you wanted, if you've read it before and you wanted to do what Alyssa's doing, where you're just like, well, what about this? That's great. Love that. Please tweet that to us at WordStruckPod. Um, just don't tweet actual. Well, you'll understand when this happens why that. Just don't do that. Um, Keep it to part one, please. Uh, And, yeah, we'd love to hear it. What what are your thoughts? I'd I'd just love to hear from you Mm -hmm. at Alyssa Small. And Clark would love to hear from you at Clark Hodges. And we have an email because uh, even though you have 280 characters on Twitter now, that might not be enough. There's a lot here. So our email address is... Clark, do you ever believe that 280 characters is not enough? (laughs) Rarely, <laughs> rarely. I pitched a song to Riley yesterday in, uh, in for Into the Echo, and I'm like, this is one of the few five minute long songs that actually earns its five minutes. Oh snap! <laughs> and uh, yeah, he listens to almost exclusively songs that are like eight to ten minutes. So that checks out. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> post rock Nine Inch Nails Riley for you. So yeah, um, what's our email? At, uh, podcast at gmail.com mm-hmm. and then you can also find us on Instagram at wordstruckpod yay so check us out I'm totally gonna Instagram a photo by the time this is in your ears it will already be up there of short round the cat who now lives with Clark again she's the studio cat we we'll had a little request that. to see the cat so did we we did oh yeah so the, the cat is on our Instagram now, folks. So go check it out. <laughs> check it out. Little shorty. She's our studio cat. That's what I will call her. Not like, because she's not my cat. She's the studio cat. <laughs> she's the secret weapon. She's the secret weapon kitty cat. She's terrifying. Uh, <laughs> anyway, thanks you guys so much. Um, go ahead. Read part two. Go for it. We're, I'll, I'll be doing it. Yeah, I'm doing it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to read it so much. And uh, we'll talk about it in a couple weeks. Thanks, Alyssa. Bye. Bye. Bye.